Welcome to Transformation Church RVA. This sermon is a part of our series called In Blank We Trust. We believe that Christians should be marked by generosity and a deep trust and obedience in God rather than the materialism that so deeply permeates our culture. In this series, we will learn more about stewardship and trusting in God for our needs. My name is Ben Hopkins. I didn't attend Hopkins Elementary. I didn't. A little, I'm a little before that time, but it's anyway. It's a good school. I've been attending here for about 45 years, my wife and I, and I serve on the church trustee team. Uh, please turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 21. We will read verses 1 through 4. If you do not have a Bible, there's one in the pew in front of you. And that's our gift to you if you do not have one at home. <clears throat> it's titled, The Widow's Offering. While Jesus was in the temple, he watched the rich people dropping their gifts in the collection box. Then a poor widow came by and dropped in two small coins. I tell you the truth, Jesus said, this poor widow has given more than all the rest of them. For they have given a tiny part of their surplus, but she, poor as she is, has given everything she has. This is the word of the Lord. May he bless you. Thank you very much. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Ben. I know. I just want to see who's paying attention. Some, some of us live, uh, how many of you go to sleep with the TV on? Anybody? Or you have to have noise, okay? So you have a fan going, okay? Maybe, you, okay? How many of you have to have noise going at all times? You hate this. Anybody hate the silence? Yeah. Yeah. I, my wife and I fall asleep with the TV on. Um, I don't know that we even watch what's on anymore as much as it's just, I think we have played through Grey's Anatomy countless times at this point. Love doctor shows and um, silence for some people just feels really awkward. So I like to open every now and again just with some silence to off put you for a moment. I'm so glad to be in God's house today. Thank you, brother. Mr. Ricky's always on time with the water. Um, how many of you are glad to be in God's house today? Amen. All three of you clapped. That's good. <laughs> oh, boy. We're in for it today. I'm just so glad to see each of you and... So I think the toughest topic to talk about in church is giving money, right? I have seen it already. We've been preaching on giving for two weeks. And the boy, people get upset. I've heard it. People just get upset when you start talking about money. Um, and, and, in many cases, rightfully so, a lot, many people are really sensitive, especially in church, because um, church can be known for asking for lots of money. Um, so let me put your heart at rest very quickly. I'm not taking up an offering. No? 
I'm not, we're not gonna pass the plate. We're not adding to the building. Today, I would just like you to trust God more. Look at your neighbor and say, trust. This series that we're in, well, let me, let me, let me start with a story. <laughs> oh, have you ever shown up somewhere to buy something and you didn't quite have enough money? <laughs> have, oh, this hasn't happened to you. Okay, well, fine. Let me tell you from the poor places that I have come, there is a Merida bread store. Do, have you ever heard of Merida? Does anybody know what that is? Merida bread store, okay? Um, and I remember I had earned some money, and I was like, you know what? I'm gonna go buy some bread and groceries for the house. I'm gonna show up with bagels popping out of every pocket I got. I mean, it was a discount bread store, okay? Discount. We, were, we weren't broke, but we were not middle class. We were below that. So anyway, going to the Merida bread store, I pray somebody else in this room sympathizes with this story I'm about to tell. I fill this cart, fill it to the brim with items to buy. And I, boy, my chest is out. I roll up to the cash register. They ring up my order. Number flashes across the screen. I said, I got it now. We didn't have credit cards or debit cards back then. It was all cash. And I was too young to have a checkbook. I pull out this cash. I lay it on the counter. I'm already hungry. Have you ever gone to the store hungry? I'm hungry at this point. Just imagining spreading some butter over top of one of those blueberry bagels. We we couldn't afford cream cheese. (laughs) This is how you know my wife grew up in a different environment than me. We didn't even use butter. It was like margarine. Anyway. So they count the money. And they look me in the eye, and they say, sir, do you have any more? (laughs) I said, "Ah, no. You mean this is more than what I have I've given you? And they said, yeah, no, this is not enough. Young, man, I was young. Little kid, I wasn't even an adult yet. I don't, I don't even remember where my parents were. So, mom, if you're watching this, I really need to, I, that's a good portion of the story I need to remember. Because in my memory, I just walked into this store as a 13-year-old kid by myself. Um, but surely my parents were somewhere. Anyway, I walked out of the store. And I left that basket full of bread there. I didn't have enough. Say it wasn't enough. It wasn't enough. This morning, I want to talk about in quantity we trust. Quantity. Everybody say quantity. It's fun to say. I just want to make sure you stay awake. 
This series is entitled, In Blank We Trust. You see, In God We Trust, written on um, the American um, money, on dollar bills, $20 bills, you see, In God We Trust. But in many of our lives, we trust other things other than God. And so in week number one, and our hope actually for this series, we want to expose the areas of our lives that we place trust instead of the Lord. We want to expose in our hearts and lives the things that we are placing trust and weight on that is not God, specifically around giving. And so in week number one, we talked about in me, I trust. And we looked at the three stages in 2 Timothy where people will turn off their ears, make their desires ultimate, and then eventually they will reject the truth and chase shadows. This is what it looks like to trust yourself over God. That trusting God does not mean he's going to give me everything I want, but trusting God means believing that his word is sufficient. And then last week, Ian did a great job talking about insecurity we trust. That oftentimes, we will trust the gift over the giver. We talked about the story of the talents. If you were here last week, you remember the story. If you weren't here last week, it's a story in Matthew where uh, a master leaves leaves his servants with um, amounts of money and Two of the servants doubled their money and one buried it in the ground. And basically what it exposed is who they trusted. Who they trusted. And this morning, I wonder who you trust or what you trust. Um, Can I tell you truth is hard to find today? In our culture anyway. For the Christian, it's easy to find. Truth is here. Our flag is in the ground here. At Transformation Church, this is the truth. This is the only truth. And so today I want to talk about in quantity I trust. And so uh, Ben read from Luke chapter 21. And this morning, I, can, I, can I be honest with you? I've heard this passage preached a million ways. A million ways. And as I studied for this morning, I read, I wouldn't say, I don't know, I read maybe 10 or 12 commentaries on this particular text. Okay? You could read 10 or 12. You could read 50. You could probably read 100 commentaries, a commentary being uh, uh, really smart guys trying to tell you what the verse means. Okay? And as I tried to study commentaries and I studied the words and the phrasing and the original languages, what I have found is this. This particular text is everyone agrees it's a lesson on giving, but what everyone can't agree on is what lesson it's teaching. Everyone teaches Something different. Every commentary, and I'll sum up a couple things of where I found, but first let me tell you where we are in the text. Jesus, in the story of Jesus, we have landed in the final week of his ministry. 
Just a few verses earlier, we have what we call the triumphal entry into Jerusalem, where Jesus is riding on a donkey. You remember the palm branches? We think about Easter, right? Palm Sunday. This is his entry into Jerusalem. And why is he entering the city? To die. Now, many think he's entering the city to take over physically, take over the government, but he is not. He is entering the city to die. So he's entering his final week of ministry. He's done teaching. He's done so many miracles. I wish I could take, I want to take a whole series and just cover the miracles of Jesus, but he's done with all that. He's done with all that. And where we find this particular text is not in a section on stewardship. We find this particular text where, about this widow amidst a section of scripture at the end of a very long day. We find this particular text about the widow's giving amidst a text on judgment. Amidst the text on judgment. Um, right before the widow's story, there is this warning that Jesus gives about religious people. Have you ever met religious people? Mm-hmm. Religious people think they do things really well, but they forget the, the heart of Christ. They check boxes, but they really don't submit to the lordship of Christ. <laughs> We often call them legalists. Think they're going to earn their way into heaven by doing all the right things. My wife says I do that too much. My My wife says I clap and then I do like this and I was just about to do that. I believe it's Isaiah that said that our righteousness is filthy rags in comparison to the Father. Can I tell you this morning that it doesn't matter how much right you do, you still need the cross. You still need his blood to cover the dark parts of your soul. Hey, and his blood covers it. It does. If you have come here today thinking that we're gonna tell you you have to check these boxes, give this amount of money, and do this, 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 and this, and, and, and say, hey, to get to heaven, you have to have the cross plus. There's nothing else you need but the blood of Jesus Christ. And this was the problem with these religious people Jesus was warning about. They said, okay, Here's God, but you need God plus. And can I tell you, those people that always think they're doing the right things, they aren't nearly as right as they think they are. They want to scrutinize others and then forgive themselves. Yeah, this is what legalist people look like. So Jesus is warning. So right in the middle of judgment, right in the middle of warning, the Bible says, look at this, that he, this widow's giving comes to his attention. 
So can, can, can I tell you something? I've, I've, I've heard and read, so here's, here's the general consensus. It's a lesson on giving. Everybody agrees on that. However, what it's teaching differs greatly. Here's some of the things that people have said that this means. It's, some would say that this text is addressing the attitude of the giver. Some would say that, that this story of the widow and giving all she had was assumed she was giving the right way. I've heard it taught that way. I've heard it taught that way. There are commentators that put it that way. And some, some another lesson that people would point to is that it's the percentage of the gift, okay? So it's not, um, it's not how much you give, but how much it costs you. And there's some truth in each of these things, but I'm, what I wanted to do was get to the core of the text. What is it? Why, why is this widow's story right here? Why? It doesn't make sense. Some other people, and, and, and I've heard this preached so many times, it's what we call the poverty gospel, that this widow's giving is an archetype, it is an example of what giving for a Christian should look like, that we should give everything away and live destitute lives. And, and if you took this text out all by itself, these four verses, and removed it and just tried to teach on it without looking at the rest of Scripture, I can see how you might have given that. But I cannot, with any conscience and with any honor to God's word, sit here and tell you you're supposed, that you are supposed to be broke in order to be a Christian. The rest of the text doesn't say that, right? That's foolishness. And we'll talk here in a moment about the opposite end of that. You have the poverty gospel over here that says, if you're a good Christian, you're broke. And then on the other side, there's the prosperity gospel that would say, if you're a real Christian, you're going to be loaded. That God owes you. Good job. And both are extremisms of a text where in the center, what you find it's the truth of the gospel, which is this, that what you need isn't an amount of money. What you need is God. The problem with all of these um, understandings of this text is this. They're all imposed. You know what I mean by that? I mean they're read into the text because, in fact, what Jesus didn't say is very important. What Jesus didn't say is very important. Let's read the text together and see what he didn't say. While Jesus was in the temple, he watched the rich people dropping their gifts in the collection box. Then a poor widow came by and dropped in two small coins. I tell you the truth. Now here's what Jesus said. We saw what Jesus witnessed. Here's what he said in response to what he just saw. This poor widow has given more than all the rest of them, for they have given a tiny part of their surplus, but she, poor as she is, has given everything she has. She has given everything 
she has. Jesus never says that she had a right attitude. Jesus didn't say she had a wrong attitude. Jesus didn't say that the, that the religious elite were right in their attitudes or wrong in their attitudes. He, he didn't say she gave the right amount or the wrong amount. He doesn't say they gave the right amount or the wrong amount. He doesn't even address their character. He addresses none of these things for the rich or the widow. He just simply says, hey, look at them giving out of their surplus. But she's given way more based on the fact that she gave everything that she has. This is what Christ tells us. Can I tell you, if Jesus wanted to say any of those things, he could have and would have. I don't, I don't think Jesus was afraid of offending folks. You get what I'm saying? You realize just a couple chapters earlier, he had flipped over the tables in this very same temple. Yeah, he wasn't afraid of offending folks. And so for us to look at this particular text and try and figure out what it's saying about giving, we have to place it within its current context of judgment. And what is he judging? What is he discerning? What is he warning about? Everybody look at your neighbor say, warning. So why? Why is it here? Is the lesson to give everything you have, give it all up. I want you to go home and empty your pockets. I want you to drain your bank accounts. I want you to bring it here to the church. Is that the, is that the point? Because if you take it out that she gave everything, then, then that would be the most literal translation if you just took it for face value without the context around it. Nowhere, nothing, none of the actions in this text are condemned or commended. So what is the text saying? Anybody else confused yet? Anybody, anybody else wondering where this is going? Because some of you are like, God, I don't know what he's going to say. <laughs> he just tore down everything I've heard about this verse. What Jesus is trying to expose is that these people were trusting in something Instead of him. They were trusting in a system. They were trusting in, in amounts. And they weren't. They were trusting in God. They were trusting in the plus. The plus is where they were putting their weight. Let's look at the context. As Jesus is in the middle of condemning and warning and judging can I tell you what I believe based on reading this text, reading the chapters before and after and in context with the whole of scripture? Here's what I can tell you. I think Jesus looked up at this widow and his heart broke. Broke. Let me ask you a question. When was the last time your heart was broken for anything? Other than that wasn't affecting you. I, let, let me rephrase. When was the last time your heart was broken for someone else? I believe Jesus looked up 
and was broken over the scene that he is watching. The whole point of him warning, we're gonna go back here in a second, the whole point of him warning about the religious systems and the religious people and then pronouncing literally right after this story, he goes right into foretelling about judgment. He wants to expose the sinful system of putting trust in quantity or other systems other than him, so much so it took the last two coins from a widow. Think about this. Think about this as he's looking. And I'm going to paint a really good picture here. Um, Where are they? They're in the outer court. Okay, they call this the women's court. Uh, if you go into the temple, there was a, a man's only area kind of inside, but Jesus always hung out in the women's court because everyone was allowed there. Uh, the women's court or, or this particular court of the temple, uh, the gate to it was called beautiful. You've heard of this gate? Uh, this was the same gate in Acts where Peter and John were heading to the temple and there was a lame man sitting at the gate and Peter and John said, silver and gold have I none, but this I give you in the name of Jesus Christ. Rise and walk. And that lame man got up and he walked. Why was the lame man sitting at the gate called beautiful? Because people were entering the temple to give their offerings. People were carrying money. So he sat there and he would beg. So this is the court. This is the gate. This is where Jesus is sitting. Everyone was allowed there. Can I tell you all throughout scripture, anyone is allowed to come to the feet of Jesus. There's a reason he didn't hang out in the uppity up portions of the religious sector that had been set up there. It's because access to Christ was not supposed to be hindered by the hurdles the religious folks were setting up. Have you ever been to church, but you couldn't get involved or do anything, or uh, people wanted you to get your life straight before you come to church? These religious folks were like that. They put hurdles in front of God. So this uh, Peter and John, people were bringing their offerings. And so what would happen is um, this particular week, the week that Jesus would die for you and I to pay the penalty for our sin, his, his holiness would meet our sinfulness. His holiness would win out. His blood would cover every debt that you owe on the cross. It would cover it. This same week was the week leading up to Passover. And so people were coming from far and wide, dignitaries, uppity-ups, everybody was in town. They say Jerusalem would swell two to three times its size. Did you know that? Imagine if we grew three times the size in here. Look around, look around, it's okay. Don't be nervous. Some of y'all like, just look forward. I don't want anybody to see me. A lot of people in town, and so what they would do 
is they would come to pay their offerings. Now, the way the religious folks had set it up, you had to pay certain amounts in certain categories to do certain things to gain favor with God, to gain salvation with God, to gain his blessings were all hinging on how much you gave. And so, you see God plus? You see the plus? People were trusting the plus. They were trusting the plus. So they would come in, um, and Jesus is sitting here. Just imagine Jesus sitting across the temple court. People are coming in. Now, some of these dignitaries, let's, let's, let's rewind a little bit because I want to show you this. Uh, rewind just a couple verses behind 21 to chapter 20, verse 45. Look at this. Then with the crowds listening, he turned to his disciples and said, so Jesus turns to his disciples and says this, beware, here's the warning, beware of these teachers of religious law, for they like to parade around in flowing robes and love to receive respectful greetings as they walk in the marketplaces. And how they love the seats of honor in the synagogues and the head table at banquets. Yet they shamelessly cheat widows out of their property and then pretend to be pious by making prayers in public. Because of this, they will be severely punished. So here's the picture. When these religious elite would come into this court to pay their offerings, you notice they put the offering plate where everybody could get to, but then God was in a separate corridor. These dignitaries and religious folks would walk through this gate and they would have trumpets sounded as they walked in and they would have these big flowing robes. I thought about trying to find one. I didn't want Woody to make fun of me, so I didn't. These big, expensive, flowing robes, trumpets sounding. I've come to give my offering. You know, in Matthew 6, Jesus said, oh, your giving should be done in private. But here's the religious elite. They come, look at me. And then they would come, and I, I tried to find, I don't have a ton of change. This is one of the downsides to a um, credit card society we have. I, I just have no change. Uh, also, my daughter steals it, so I don't, uh, any that I had is gone. If you have kids, you know what, you like find it places. You're like, why do you have all my money? Maybe it's my wife. I don't know. She's not here this morning, so I don't know. She, she might have all of it. I'm just kidding. I love you. I love you. I know you're watching. I got to stick to the text here. Hold on. And this is the way the treasury, Jesus, the text tells us Jesus is setting opposite the treasury. And this is what the treasury looked like. You would, these guys, you could hear horns blowing, all these lines and crowds. There's just so many people. And they walk up to the treasury making a big deal out of their giving. And they walk up and they've got 13 shofars. Okay, do you know what a shofar is? A shofar is a horn that it's, it's a curved, circular-looking horn that they would blow for victory. They used to use them. Well, they used them in the treasury. They would have them, and 
they would go up and, and each one had its own category, different types of offerings, birds, wood, you name it, different purposes. And you would go up and you would drop the money. You would hear the coins. Think about it. You would hear the coins. Drop down into the box and it would get caught. It would, um, and it would be trapped there. Literally, the Greek word means a trap, a giving trap. So you see these guys, they probably bring pitchers and dump their coins in, giving out of what Jesus says is their surplus. Giving out of their surplus, making a big deal out of it. And, and, and when they go to pray, they pray big, they pray loud, because they want everybody to hear. This isn't a church service. They've come to give, and they want everybody to know about it. And notice... And 47, yet they shamelessly cheat widows out of their property. Literally, the text says they eat widows' houses. Shamelessly, and then pretend to be pious. And right after he says these religious hypocrites, Right after he says this warning to, to be careful for these people, you can, you can see in the text in Mark, you can also see this text in Mark 12. So it's in Luke 21, it's in Mark 12. In Mark 12, it says that Jesus is sitting. In Luke 21, it says that he looks up. So just picture Jesus sitting on the other side of the court and he's just given this warning, and he is exhausted. He's had a whole day of people doing nothing but argue with him. Have you ever argued with somebody all day? Have you been married? <laughs> that should have been the first question. I'm kidding. Kirsten and I never argue. We just have robust dialogue. <laughs> People were questioning his authority, whether he was really the Messiah. And hear me, they had made up their minds. He was not the Messiah. 33 years on this earth, even as a young boy coming to this same temple to preach and, and, and look at the word and miracles and, and, and kingdom teaching all 33 years. And he sits as he's entered to die at the end of the week. He's warning about all this pious stuff he sees going on around him, and he's, defe he's defeated in stance. He is having an emotional moment, literally just a few verses earlier as he's talking about the things that are going on in the temple. The Bible says he is weeping about it. He's sitting with his head down as he's given this warning. The Bible says he looks up and his eye catches this widow. All these guys with jugs of money just dumping it in there out of their surplus and making a big deal out of their giving. And here's this widow. Now, a widow was different in those days than they are today. Meaning, if you were a widow, you were really relying on your community around you to take care of you. Um, that is still true to a point today. Um, 
Can I tell you, our widowers need us as the body of Christ to surround them and love them. But instead of this woman being surrounded and loved on, the expectation was that amongst all this circus, she came. Now, the Greek word for poor here doesn't mean she was destitute, but she was almost there. And it literally means that she gave everything that she had left to live on. You can almost hear the change of all the different uh, rich folks trickling down through. And then this woman walks up and throws in two small coins, what we know as uh, the smallest Hebrew coins, the, the smallest amount valued. And you just hear two little chinks. And he says, I tell you the truth, this poor widow has given more than all the rest. Jesus. Now, some, I've also heard this particular text on the prosperity end. We talked about the poverty end. Some people would try and twist the scripture to call this a seed faith. (laughs) Have you ever heard that term? Sowing a seed faith. Hey, listen, I found a well in Ohio, and it's got really special water in it that uh, if you send me $9.95, I am going to send you a vial of this water, and you're no longer going to have back pain. Oh, I've ordered it. Hey, I'm not judging. I I was trying to figure it out, okay? (laughs) I don't know why y'all laughing at me. I've ordered the cloths they've anointed. If you send me $11.90, just sow a seed faith in God. I'll give me $100, give me $1,000. Again, I'm gonna repeat this. I'm not taking up an offering today because God is not after your money. He's after your obedience God doesn't need your money. And this is relieving. This is something to rest in. If, if, if God doesn't need my money, he doesn't need anything at all. He doesn't need me because he has everything. If God has everything, he needs nothing. Let that settle in for just a moment. Jesus wanted to expose a wicked system, and that's what I want us to see in the text today. What Jesus Christ is pointing out is his brokenness over this widow who they expected to give everything she had to try and gain God's favor. This system they had built. If you go back, I'm gonna flip back just uh, to Mark chapter seven, and he describes this system. Mark chapter seven, starting in verse eight, it says, for you ignore God's law and substitute your own tradition. Then he said, you skillfully, ooh, this is good, you skillfully sidestep God's law in order to hold on to your own tradition. For instance, Moses gave you this law from God, honor your father and mother, And anyone who speaks disrespectfully of your father or mother must be put to death. 
But you say, it is all right for people to say to their parents, sorry, I can't help you, for I have vowed to give to God what I have given to you. In this way, you let them disregard their needy parents, and so you cancel the word of God in order to hand down your own tradition. And this is only one example among many others. You see, there had been a system set up that people were ignoring the needs of others in exchange to throw money at the religious system so that they could work this combination to get God to bless them. If I tithe or give this much, God owes me a blessing. If I tithe or give this, I'll be rich. I have to give a certain quantity to please God. Do you see how in this instance, when he sees this scene, he's seeing that they're trusting something other than God. They're trusting the amount. They're trusting the quantity. They're trusting this religious system. And again, God's not after our money. He's after our obedience. Giving to God and ignoring the needs of others is not good stewardship. Why do I say that? These people would come in here, grandstand their tithes, and then ignore the needs of the people around them. They ignored this widow. You think, you think if I picked the poorest, would God admonish me and reward me if I said, hey, let me get the poorest widow in this room and have her give everything she has right here? You think God would expect that? No. No. Am I, say, am, am I saying God never requires sacrificial giving? That's not what I'm saying. God expects us to give and give with a cheerful heart. Next week, I'm going to cover what that looks like. Some of you have had questions like, how much is tithe? When do I tithe? How much should I give an offering? Is there, should I give offering on top of tithe? Are they the same thing? We're going to talk about all that next week. But I'm here to tell you today that if you give your tithe and offering begrudgingly or you're giving it because you need to give a certain amount for God to give you a certain amount or you're just, you're just doing it out of ritual and ignoring the needs of the people around you, God does not want that money. God does not want your cold begrudging, paraded around money if you're ignoring the needs of the people around you. He's warning. Verse one of 21, we see our exhausted Lord and Savior Ending his ministry, closing out his ministry with this message of damnation. In verse 5, he starts talking about judgment. He's discouraged as he looks at this widow, discouraged by the sight of people rejecting him. 
and thinking, if I just give this, this, and this, I'll gain God's favor. I'm going to reject Christ, and I'm going to earn my way in. I might get an elder call after this one. I have had people, since I've been in church, when they don't like what's going on in the church, they start paying less in tithe. Uh-huh. That's because they view their tithe as country club dues. We talked about this week number one. Your tithe belongs to God, and so does everything else. What you give belongs to God, and also what you keep belongs to God. It all belongs to him. Can I tell you today that if you are tithing from an ill heart, you can keep your money. You can keep your money. If we are going, I, I don't want Transformation Church to be the church where we pay the tithe, build big cathedrals. I read about, as I was studying for this, I read about Martin Luther right before we just had Reformation Day. I don't know if y'all, um, yeah, y'all don't know what I'm talking about. The, uh, some of you do. Um, we celebrate when he left the Catholic Church and started the Protestant deno- you know, denominations and whatnot. Anyway, you know what triggered it? You know what triggered the Protestant Reformation? Martin Luther, who you've probably heard, he nailed the 95 Theses. He was watching as like St. Peter's Church and some of these big Catholic cathedrals are being built on the backs of the poor, giving up everything that they have in order that they might earn a spot in heaven in order that it might compensate for their sin. And Martin Luther took a stand and he said, no, it is by grace through faith alone. It is in Christ alone that we receive salvation. It is not in a system. It is in him. And I want this church to be a place where we give tithe, yes, and amen. We give offerings, yes, and amen, to giving out of a cheerful heart, out of what God has gracefully given to you. But we do not ignore the needs of others in the process, but we build a kingdom, a castle unto ourselves. This is what Jesus is broken over. And in fact, just after this, he's going to say, hey, I'm going to tear down this temple and rebuild it in three days. He was discouraged at the sight of people rejecting him and trusting the ways of religion, trying to please God with superficial things. How are you trying to please God today? Are you checking off the box of tithe and offering? I'm giving just the right amount, pastor. You know, in the New Testament, um, uh, Jesus, the, the tithe is not covered hardly at all in the New Testament. You know that? It's not in there. Um, I can make a, and honestly, the tithe in the Old Testament, and I'm pre-preaching for next week, the tithe in the Old Testament was actually like over 23%. Did you know that? It wasn't 10. 10 was a part of it. 
In total, in tithes, they paid 23.3, I believe, percent. And so we get people who are stuck. You know, I'm going to give the 10%. That's it. No, in fact, the Bible would say, in fact, this story, if you look at the uh, book of Acts and the launch of the church, people were selling their homes. People were getting rid of their own belongings to help the needs of others. That's what we do here. We minister, preach the gospel, meet the needs of others. Jesus wanted to expose in this story. Why, did, why is this here? Because Jesus wanted to expose our sinful trust in things other than him. Some takeaways as the band comes back. One, some of you may not come back here. Look, I love you. There's another church probably up the road that'll tell you if you give $20 here, then you'll get a new car next week. I wonder what it looks like sometimes. Can I tell you what my prayer for my own life has been? Because look, I have been just as guilty as the rest. To get in a routine of just checking off boxes and ignoring the call of God to go above and beyond. I've also been guilty of expecting more out of others than I do myself. Three takeaways this morning. One, Jesus sees all giving. One thing we can pull from this text affirmatively. Jesus not just, Jesus not only sees the big givers. He sees even the smallest amounts. It's not about the quantity. It's not about the quantity. Jesus sees all giving and he sees what it costs I don't know that it's the main point of the text, but we can affirmatively say that Jesus saw that widow. He saw how much, even the little amount that she gave, and he especially saw what it cost her. He saw it. Today, if you think, man, I just don't want to give till I have the right amount of money, you ain't ever going to have it. They say the same thing about kids. Don't have kids till you're ready. What? I'm still figuring it out. <laughs> Don't wait to honor the Lord with your giving until you have enough money. I've made lots of money. Can I, can I just be transparent with you? I've made lots of money. And I've made very little money. And two things, Paul would say, I've learned to be, and I would regurgitate this, I have learned to be content in both seasons. But what I have also found (laughs) is that I was no more giving when I was loaded. In fact, I would say, I make less now than I ever have in my entire life. Well, beyond a security guard at a bakery, that was not much money rich in brownies and cinnamon buns, but broke in the bank account. 
It's also more expensive because as I ate brownies, my clothes got larger. It was more expensive to clothe myself. That's not in my notes. I'm sorry. The, the point being this, don't wait till you have the right amount because it's not an amount issue. It's a heart issue. Give what you can. And I'm not going to take up an offering. I'm going to tell you at the end of the day, and look, we've even stopped passing the plate. We, we had talked about going back to passing the plate or do we not pass the plate. One of the reasons I really haven't pushed for it is because I don't even want the pressure of someone. Have you ever been to that church? I'm way over preaching here. I'm, I'm way over on time. Have you ever been to that church where it's a little tiny, little tiny church and they pass the plate around in a little bag and the deacon like grabs the plate and he like, And he moves. <laughs> have, you, have you met that deacon? I have. Oh, he's nosy. Yes, he is. <laughs> you might be that deacon. I love you. I love you. I love you. We're going to keep the boxes in the back because it shouldn't be about a show. I don't want you to feel bad for how little you give or how much you give. I, I, I don't want that to be the purpose. Those boxes are in the back for you to honor God's faithfulness in your life. And if you don't want to honor God's faithfulness, his scripture tells us that he honors our obedience. And that if you store up treasures down here, uh, you're going to reap them down here and they won't go with you. But if you store up treasures in heaven, right? We have scripture... Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Put your hearts in those boxes back there. I'm not going to tell you a certain percentage because that's not in the text. What I will tell you is this. Don't sow into a system. Sow into the Father. Sow into God. Be faithful with what he's given you. And he'll see every penny. And look, he keeps a way better record than the IRS. And they're pretty good. Number two, Jesus doesn't desire our brokenness. He desires, desires our brokenness for the poor and needy. It is blatantly obvious that what he was after is pointing out that these religious folks were really good at paying their tithe, but terrible, for take, terrible at recognizing and taking care of the needs of the people in their community. Oh God, let that not be our church. Let, let that not be the descriptor of our church where we have really nice things, but no one comes to know the Father. No, we don't reach any lost people because it's too dirty or it's too hard. Let us be the people that give to God what is God's and give to Caesar what is Caesar's, right? Ian talked about that last week. We want to be people that pays our taxes and does what's right, but we want to give to God and see the needs of others. He's, he doesn't desire our brokenness. Okay, he's not expecting you to be poor, but he, and, and so I don't want you to give everything, but he wants us to see the needs of others. And if you see those needs, this church is a great place to invest. This church is a great place to put the giving that you give to God. I've seen it. I've seen it. Lastly, we must trust God more than we trust man.
I just have one question. As we close, and you get to go out of here and enjoy all the things that get in the car that God's blessed you with, enjoy the food that God's given you, the homes, relationships, get to enjoy the next breath out of your lungs, God willing. He gives us it all. And my prayer for today was that we wouldn't try and figure out a certain percentage, a certain quantity, but that we would try and tune our hearts to the things that break the heart of God. seen if we were sitting right next to Jesus? Would we have been watching the big pomp and circumstance of the big givers or would our eyes have tuned in to this widow? My heart today hopes and prays that the Lord would open our eyes and hearts to the needs of those around us and that as we give, it would be out of a heart of God, take everything that I can give you. bless those around me. I don't want to ignore it. I don't want to ignore it. And I pray today that the Holy Spirit speaks into your heart. Not about a certain amount that you need to give, but a heart posture that you need to have when it comes to giving. Can we pray together? Father, today, I'm so thankful for your word that bears its weight on our lives. That we can leave here different than what we came because of your spirit, because of your word. Today, help us to be cheerful givers. Help us to be big givers. Help us to not make the amount the, the, the issue, but Lord, help our hearts to be tuned to your heart. Help us to see the needs of those around us and ultimately, Father, help us to put our trust in you. Not you plus, but you, God. Help us to trust you. That you'll take care of us when we give. That we won't go without because you own the cattle on a thousand hills. Help us today to trust you. I can trust you and I can give and know that it's yours to begin with and that you will supply our every need. In Jesus Christ, in the name of the Father. Son and the Holy Spirit, Father, we ask all of these things. Everyone said, Amen. Thanks for streaming this audio from Transformation Church RVA, located in Richmond, Virginia. For more information, check out our website at www.transformationrva.com.